0: a long story short. And what we're doing is we're going through the Old Testament and we're picking out different pieces of it. But because the Old Testament is so long, we're shortening up the Old Testament so to speak. And then we're taking individual stories and we're going through. And so this morning we're going to go through uh, Noah. Noah's four chapters in the Bible. And we're going to go through that. But some of the other messages that we're going to go through are Moses. So Moses wrote the first five books, and he's throughout the scripture all over. Um, Toby is going to preach in a few weeks on the book of Judges. So I don't know how many Judges there are, at least 12 of them, I think. And Toby's going to give us one message on the book of Judges. So he's going to be like, okay, you got a half hour, and go. (laughs) But so what we're doing is we're taking these long stories, and we're making them short. So, I'm not going to read all of the Scripture today, but we're just going to be kind of digging into it as we go along. Because like I say, it's four um, chapters long. So let me pray, and then uh, we'll jump right into Noah. Father God, we come before you now. And Lord, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much, Lord, for your grace and for your kindness, Lord. We thank you so much, Lord, that you look at us and that you look at our lives and we, you look where we fall and where we sin and where we come short. And yet you save us. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, you save us. So we thank you for that. And this morning as we look at Noah, Lord, help us to see that. Help us this morning to be with us. Let your spirit be with us that we might have uh, ears to hear and eyes to see, Lord. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. So we're going to talk about Noah, the story of Noah in 3 acts. So, act number or I mean act number 1, the story of Noah. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. And he fills the earth with plants and with animals, with fish and with birds, with Adam and with Eve, and he looks at it and he says it is very good. But it doesn't stay good. And Adam and Eve sin. And God kicks them out of the Garden of Eden, and the earth becomes cursed. Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother. Generations pass, and things get worse. And Adam and Eve have a great, 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 great grandson named Lamech. When Adam and Eve sinned, they hid from God. They were ashamed of what they did. When Cain sinned, he talked back to God. He said, I don't know where he is. He says, am I my brother's keeper? When God asks about where his brother Abel is. But at the same time, he's afraid. And he's concerned about what other people will do to him. And so he says, from your face I shall be hidden, and I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. But listen to Adam and Eve's great, 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 great grandson. Lamech. Listen to his attitude. He marries two women, and he brags to these two wives of his what he did. He says this. He says, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. The wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed the man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. He doesn't hide his sin. He's not ashamed of it like Adam and Eve were. He's not concerned about retribution by other people, which is what Cain was. Instead, he brags about it. He says, A young man hit me, and so he killed him. He brags about what he did. More generations pass, and things get worse, and they get worse, and they get worse, until it says that God regretted that he made man. Listen to Genesis chapter 6 through 5. This whole story is in Genesis 6 through 9 that we're going to be talking about. Um But so 6, verse 5 says this. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the hearts or of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. The earth is filled with violence. The earth is filled with corruption. And God regrets that he made man. It says it grieves him to his heart. Can you imagine that? Every intention of men's hearts, is continually evil. Every thought, every imagination is evil. And can you imagine God's heart? God is grieved over this, and God's heart breaks. He creates this world and it is good. He creates Adam and Eve, he creates man, men and women, he puts it on them, and he says this is very good. And now he says, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Men And animals, and creeping things, and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. And here we see and we can compare the heart of man to the heart of God. Because the heart of man loves sin. And every thought is on sin, and every desire is for sin, and every heart is fixed on sin. When sin first came in, it brought shame, and it brought this desire to hide. But as sin becomes more and more, it loses the feeling of being ashamed. It loses that feeling of wanting no one to know at all. And it becomes something to be proud of, something to be bragged about, something to be done in the open. While man loves sin, God hates sin because he knows where sin leads. Sin leads to isolation. Sin leads to broken relationships. Sin leads to broken people. Sin leads ultimately to death. It leads to physical death and it leads to spiritual death. Look around you today and see all the pain that sin brings. See where it is that lying leads to. See where it is where these addictions lead to. See the broken hearts, the broken lives, the broken kids that divorce brings. And God hates it. He says his heart breaks. Jesus Christ weeps. God hates sin so much that he says, I regret that I ever made man. I am sorry that I ever made them. He hates sin so much that he decides he's going to destroy the earth. This is his creation. He made it. He filled it with people. He filled it with animals. He says this is very good, and he's going to destroy it. What started out is this, having water with no form, is going to be covered with water and have no form. It is creation being destroyed because of sin. So as Act 1 is about to close, we see one more thing about God. And that is his love for righteousness. Because righteousness is the opposite of sin. Verses 8 and 9 say this, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man. Noah's blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. God loves righteousness. We have this verse, this is Hebrews 1. In Hebrews we see a picture. God the Father is talking about Jesus Christ the Son. And he says this, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated righteousness wickedness see god loves righteous people he loves those who walk with him and in the bible god urges us over and over to be holy like he is holy to walk in a manner worthy of our calling to walk in a manner worthy of the lord now we're going to see later on that Noah wasn't saved because he was sinless and he was perfect and that this being saved by noah was god's grace and it was all due to him but for right now at this point what we want to understand is this God hates wickedness. And he hates it so much that he's willing to destroy everything that he made because of it. And at the same time, God loves righteousness so much that he is willing to save mankind because of one single righteous person. And even today, even today, God's heart is still the same. He will destroy the evil person who does not repent of their sins. And he will save the righteous person who repents of their sins. As Matthew Matthew Henry put it, he said this, God repented that he made man, but we never find him repenting that he redeemed man. Let me say that again. God repented that he made man, but we never find him repenting that he redeemed man. And God redeems us. So, let's go on to Act 2. Story of Noah, Act 2. Noah builds a boat. God tells Noah that he's going to bring about this flood. He says he's going to destroy all the living things that are on the earth. And he tells Noah to make this boat. And that he is going to save Noah, his wife, his son, and his son's wife. So the ark that he's about to make is about the size of one and a half football fields long. So one and a half football fields long. It's about 500 feet long. 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. It's three stories high. So think about how big that is. Just try to get a flavor for, you know, how big that is, and try to think about how much work it's going to take to make it. Think about the years that it's going to take to make this. They're, they're they're building a boat the size of a football field and a half by hand, and it's known as Three Suns. <laughs> so you got to think about what Noah's reaction was when it first happened. Like, what? <laughs> Say that again. Let me get this right. There's me, Ham, Shep. What are the other guys' names? Oh, no, Shep. He's one of the three stooges. Shem. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, did I get him right? I should have written this part down. I think that's right. So, <laughs> Forget about Shep, Moe, Curly, Larry, all those guys. <laughs> they belong to a different story. <laughs> Maybe Mike will tell us that one. <laughs> But anyway, here we have Moses and his three sons. and Noah, thank you. <laughs> just keep shouting out as soon as I get around. We'll get back on doors. <laughs> you know, it's funny because this all started. Uh, just, so, so here's the day, right? We know these days happen, stuff like this. I go to McDonald's, I get a cup of coffee. Thing's way too hot to drink. I want to drink it before I get here, so I take the lid off and I set it down there. Then I'm ready to drink my coffee. And I'm seven minutes away from the church. It takes about a half hour to get here from London area. So I put the lid, what I think is tightly on, but evidently was loosely on. <laughs> so I take a big thing like this. The coffee bounces off my shirt, onto my pants, all the way over. So I call my I'm like, I'm seven minutes out. You think I have time to go home and change? She says, you're, a, she says, you're wearing khakis. It'll dry. No one will know. <laughs> so that's kind of how it all started. I think that's how come I keep saying these things. But anyway, obviously I digress. So here's the point. Noah, three sons, build the boat, the biggest boat that we've ever seen, ever at all. And so, um, Noah has faith in God. Noah has faith that he can do what God has asked him to do. And all the while that Noah is doing this, the other people who live at this time are just going along. They're just living their lives, they're marrying, they're drinking. I look at this from Matthew 24. Jesus Christ is talking to his disciples, he's trying to describe what it's going to be like when he comes back a second time. And so he compares his own coming back, what the generation is going to be like to Noah's generation. He says this, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So you can picture what life was like there, right? And they're filled with sin, and they're filled with evil, and they're filled with corruption, and they just go on. So can you imagine what they say when they talk to Noah, and they see him building this great big ark, right? They must have thought that he was crazy. And I'm certain that they thought, or that they made fun of him, because remember, he is the only righteous one. He is the only one who was leading a holy life. People always make fun of those who are different. And they don't understand why you don't join in with what they do. If you lead this holy life, they won't understand why you won't join in. And there will be um, that persecution, that laughing, and that mocking. So we can only assume that this was going on all the while, the years and years and years that Noah is building this boat. But Noah keeps on building, and he keeps on building. And day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, he continues to build. When Moses is finally done, when he pounds in the last nail, when he finishes covering the inside of this huge thing with pitch so it's waterproof, and the inside of this whole thing, and he throws away that brush, and he brings in the last of the food that's going to last for him, and for his family, for a year, he takes some of every kind of food and he throws that in there as well. When it's all said and done and he puts everything away, God says, You have seven days to get all the animals on board. And so Noah has seven days from the day that he finishes to get the animals on board. So what he does, he gets two of every kind of animal. And then the ones that are clean, he gets seven of every kind of animal, plus the birds and the living or the creeping things, and he loads them all onto the ark. Noah is now 600 years old. And I imagine he's tired. (laughs) His his sons are 100 years old. And I imagine that they too are tired. But they have obeyed God. In 623, it says, Noah did this. He did all that he commanded him. As you read this story, you see over and over. You see in chapter 6, you see in chapter 7, Noah obeyed God. Noah did what God asked him to do. It's repeated over and over and over. Noah did what God asked him to do. As soon as they're all on board, God shuts them in. And it says, that very day, the rains came. It says, the, foundation, or the fountains of the great deep burst forth. The windows of heaven were opened. And it did this for 40 days, nonstop rain from above, springs bursting forth from below. What was it like to be in the ark? What was it like to hear the sound of the rain from below and the fountains bursting forth, or the rain from above and the fountains below? We have this three-season porch. One of my favorite times to go on it is when it rains. And it's got one of these, you know, metal roofs out there. And it rains, and I love hearing the rain. And we have a TV out there, and so sometimes we'll put the TV. Well, the rain gets harder. So we're like, click, 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 getting the volume higher, higher, higher. Pretty soon, we can't even hear anything. You just got to stop the TV because the rain comes down. It's just so loud just hitting that, that metal roof. And I'm sure that this is what this was like because this is a storm like has never, ever been before, and the rain's coming and everything's coming. And so it's just coming down and down. What was it like to, to know how big this thing is, to know how solid this thing is, the length of a football field and a half, and to be in there... When it starts to, when the water starts to lift it up, right? So you can picture it just, because I'm guessing it just didn't go up like that, right? So I'm guessing that the whole thing's like this, and all the animals are going like this, and then they're going like that, and, you know, the sheep are here, and the elephants are here, and they're, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> so but it's just, you know what I mean? It's just like up, oh, and what's it like to be inside of there when that whole thing just goes up, and it just starts to rain, right? And the water continues to come down. And it seems like it's never ending. And it's, it's the, the boat is getting higher and higher and higher. And the people outside can't climb high enough. The people outside can't get away. They have rejected God, and there is no escape. The water soon covers the mountains. Outside, everything has perished, and the rain stops. It's been 40 days straight. Only Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives are left. God has done what he said he was going to do. The fountains of the deep are closed. The windows of heaven are closed. God causes this wind to blow, and the water begins to recede. It will be seven months and 17 days until the ark touches the ground, and it lands on top Mount Ararat. Two and a half months later, after being in the ark for ten months, they look out and they see the mountains. Forty days later, Noah opens the window. He lets out a raven and he lets out a dove to see if the waters were gone, to see if it was dry enough to go outside. The dove returns. He can't find any place to rest at all. So Noah puts his hand out and the dove lands on it, and he brings it back into the ark. They wait another seven days. They send the dove out again. This time the dove returns and it has a freshly plucked olive leaf in its mouth. It's a sign that things are drying out. Things are growing again. Noah puts his hand out. The dove lands on it again. He brings it back in. They know now that there's dry ground. So they wait another seven days. I'd be impatient at this point, right? It's like, okay, we got the dove. We got the leaf. I don't mind the little mud, right? Let's just get out there. But (laughs) But they wait for another seven days until they go out. It's been one year and one month since they set foot on the ark. And they open it up, and they look outside, and the ground is dry. And Acts 2 of our story closes with Moses looking out of the ark with the sun on his face and the wind in his hair. So what can we learn from Acts 2? What can we learn about God, and what can we learn about Noah? About God, we can learn about his righteous judgment and his grace. And from Noah, we can learn about faith. See, God judges perfectly. God created us. He made laws for us to live by. To sum them up, there's really two laws. To love God with our heart, soul, strength, might, and soul. And to love each other as ourselves. God knows what's in a person's heart. He knows everything that they do. He knows everything that they think. So God judged the peoples of Noah's day. Their hearts were full of evil all the time. Their actions were evil all the time. We saw this, right, this downhill spiral from the beginning. Cain, the son of Adam and Eve, right, the very first person ever born kills his brother, right? And this downward spiral, the Bible says it gets worse and worse until God looks into the hearts, He says every intention is just evil. So God judges rightly. They are guilty. And they're not only guilty of like a one-time single event like Cain killing his brother, but they are ongoing guilty. It says their hearts are continually guilty. They're continually filled with evil. So God is right in bringing this judgment, in bringing this punishment, because the punishment for sin is death. Adam and Eve were warned in the Garden of Eden. They knew what the punishment would be, so God brings the flood, and God's right to do it. And it's hard for us to admit it, but it was the right verdict, and it was the right punishment. But even in the middle of this, we see God's heart, and we see God's grace, because Noah found, or God found favor in Noah. Um, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Let's do this instead. There's an overhead for this. There's a guy named Kurt Stasner. He wrote a book called Opening Up Genesis. And in this book, he says this. The thrust of this chapter is not that Noah was good, but that God is gracious. Look closely at verse 8. Noah found favors in the eyes of the Lord. The word translated favor here is the Hebrew word that means grace. So about half the time it's grace, half the time it's favor as they translate it. Noah found grace free, unmerited kindness in the eyes of the Lord. The remarkable thing about verses 8 and 9 is not Noah's goodness, but it's God's favor. It's God's grace. The effect of verse 8 then is to say, the whole earth was wicked, but of his own free will, God decided to show his undeserved kindness to Noah. Strasner is right, and we see this all throughout Scripture. It is God who saves. No one is righteous, not even one at all, Therefore, it could have never been that Noah was without sin. It has to be God's grace that saved him. It has to be God's grace that saved his family. So when we think of Noah, when you think of Noah, think of God's grace in saving him. What can we learn about faith from Noah? We can learn three things uh, from faith. Hebrews eleven seven 7 says this, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So the first thing we learn about faith here is that faith believes God when we don't know how things will work out. Noah was warned by God, it says in Hebrews, of events as yet unseen. Noah didn't know what, the, what this would look like at all. He had no idea what this was going to look like. God said he was going to destroy the entire earth because of sin, so build a boat. What does that look like? How can you imagine what that would look like? Noah wouldn't have the ability to imagine what that would look like. And even though he had no idea what the future looks like at all, he has faith. And he believes God. He believes what God says. And he does what God asks him to do. I mean, there must have been a million questions running through his mind, right? What would a boat look like, right? Can I even build it? Even with my three sons, can I build this thing? What will the flood look like that's big enough to cover the entire world? What's it going to be like to be in a boat for a year with only my family? What's it going to be like to be in a boat full of animals <laughs> for a year and no windows? <laughs> I'm guessing that would probably be one of the concerns that would be going through my (laughs) part anyway. And it's like as he thinks about it, how much work is this going to entail? And should I put the bunnies in with the lions? (laughs) But these questions are running through his mind, right? What is the world going to look like when the water goes down? Where am I going to live? What's going to be like when it's just us? What's going to happen if something happens to us? at all. These questions are probably endless, and there are no answers at all. And faith lives here. Faith believes God when it can't see, when it doesn't have the answers, when it doesn't know the future, when it doesn't know what's going to go on, when God says, do this. And he does it anyway without knowing what's going on. The second thing that we can learn from God, I mean from Noah, about faith is that faith obeys God. Faith obeys God. 1 John 2, verses 3 and 6 says this, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. And by this we know that we are in him. And listen to James. James says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Noah's faith had works. Noah obeyed God. Noah did all that he commanded, or that God commanded Noah to do. Noah did. And that's what faith does. Faith obeys God. And, you know, uh, before I get to the third thing, I just want to say this too. This is just how the Holy Spirit works. And it's just an amazing thing when you see, you know, God working. And so this has to do with Melanie coming up. I was sitting over here, or standing, I guess, singing, and I felt, it's just, I had like this picture, and I had like this sensation, it was almost a physical sensation, that the Holy Spirit had his hand on my shoulder, much like you would, you know, like if someone's in front of you, and you just put their hand on their shoulder, like this, and I could picture I had my hand up, and I could picture like Jesus had his hand up right here, and it was right on my shoulder, and it was like a physical sensation, and so I paid attention to the words, And the words that we were singing in all those songs, and I'm paying attention, and I'm just paying attention, I'm thinking of it, it's talking about the greatness of God, talking about the glory of God. And Melanie comes up and puts her hand on the exact same spot where I had felt that. And she said, I think I have a word to share. And I thought, (laughs) I'm sure you do (laughs) right away. And so she shares with us, and what does she share with us? That we, you know, our faith, and our works we sometimes get those two confused and we feel like God is judging and God is judging and God is judging and the story of Noah is God is judging God is judging God is judging but it also has to do with this with this um, you know salvation that comes from God that comes from Jesus Christ and these works don't condemn us Jesus Christ saves us and as Melanie was saying it's like You know, these days come through, and there's not a day that we don't feel this. There's not a day that we don't sin. There's not a day that we don't feel this condemnation. And yet Christ forgives us. And then she said, too, she said, I want to do what's right. I want to do what's right. And this is what this faith does. And this is what it does for Noah. His faith doesn't save him. It's Jesus Christ that saves him. He deserves condemnation. And yet the faith saves him so that he wants to work He wants to obey. And that's why James is saying, it's like, look, you're saying you have faith. Is there any works? This is how you can tell if it's true or not. And John uh, John even says it clearer. By this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Again, keeping his commandments doesn't save us. It's that faith in Jesus Christ that saves us. But they will be side by side. And we can tell. We can look at ourselves. And if we have this desire to obey God, we will, I mean, that's evidence of our faith, that we have this faith, we have this desire to obey God. So we learn this from Noah, and we can uh, take this. So number three, we learn from Noah also that faith results in us being an heir of righteousness. Once again, Hebrews eleven seventeen, By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events is yet unseen. In reverent fear, this is that obedience part, constructs an ark for saving of his household. By this, he condemns the world, and he becomes an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. The works doesn't save him, but it says he does it. But it's his faith. He becomes an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Listen to these next two verses, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him or sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Romans 10:9, "If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved." We can look at Noah and we can see his faith, and we can see his reward. Noah is saved. Everyone else is outside the boat. Everyone else perishes. But Noah and his family are saved. If you confess that Jesus is your Lord, if you believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's what faith teaches us. So, the story of Noah, Acts 3. God makes a covenant. Noah's family come off the ark, right? They're sitting up on top of the mountain. They come off the ark. They bring out the animals. They feel the ground. They feel the grass. They see the trees. They smell this fresh air. They're on top of this mountain. Imagine what that looks like, to look down into this valley after being in this ark, this enclosed boat for over a year. must have been just amazing. You know, we hike up a mountain or we drive up like a scenic pass and we pull over and we look and it's just unbelievably beautiful. But we have been stuck inside of a boat full of animals for, for the last year. It must have just been amazing, just that, just that view that they saw. So Noah takes out some of the animals, well, Noah takes all the animals out, and he takes some from the clean animals. And he makes a sacrifice to God. And it says that God smells this pleasing aroma. We have this, this is chapter 8, verses 21 and 22. And God says this, God says this in his heart. He says, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Never will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. And then God blesses Noah. And he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. This is the same commandment that he had given to Adam before and god makes this covenant with noah and this one is fairly long so i want to read this one out loud too as we look at this covenant and this is uh chapter 9 verses 8 through 17 then god said to Noah and to his sons with him behold i will establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you the birds the livestock and every beast of the earth with you as many as came out of the ark it is for every beast of the earth I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you, and every living creature that is with you, for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. God says, I will never again curse the ground because of man i will never again flood the earth to destroy it and the most amazing part of this whole section here is this statement that he says for the intention of man's heart is evil from you god will never god will never do this curse the ground flood the earth knowing that our hearts are evil God makes this promise fully aware of our failures and of our shortcomings. This promise is one-sided. It's not a promise that says, if you obey, you will be blessed, but if you disobey, you will be cursed. No, this says, you will disobey, but I will be faithful. God says, I will put the rainbow in the sky, and every time that I see it, I will remember my promise. It's not just us who looks at the rainbow and remembers God's promise. It is God who looks at the rainbow, and it is God who remembers his promise. So you think that the story of Noah would end right there. And you think it would be, and they lived happily ever after. But this is the Bible, and the Bible doesn't hide anything. And he wants us to know, God wants us to know through the Bible, that there will be struggles, that there will be sin that follows. Moses plants a vineyard the grapes grow he makes wine he gets drunk and he sins our hero the one who found favor in god's eyes the one who was righteous the one who was blameless the one who walked with god now sins after everything that he went through after the whole making of the boat after the whole putting the people on there of the whole or the animals on there the whole year in the boat he comes out he plants He drinks, gets drunk, he sins. Does God go back on his promise? After all this stuff, does God go back and destroy Noah? I mean, it would be easy, right? There's no one in his family, and that's it. But no, God remembers. And Scripture tells us that Noah went and lived for another 350 years old. Noah died when he was 950 years old. God looked at the rainbow, and God remembered his promise. We can assume that Noah, when he sinned, confessed his sin immediately. Look at 1 John 1:8:9. and 9. It says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Noah sins, right? We can assume that he confesses his sins and that God forgives him because this is found throughout all of Scripture. And Noah is always held with the highest regard. So what can we learn from this final act, this closing act of Noah? Noah shows us that we can rely on God to deliver us, both now and for eternity. God saves us for eternity. And we've already looked at this, right? This is one of the foundations of our faith. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, "...without faith it is impossible to please him. For would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him." And the ark reminds us that it is Jesus who saves. It reminds us of this gospel. right? The ark brought Noah and his family through the waters safely while all the unrighteous perished. And it is Jesus who will bring us safely to heaven. And there is a judgment for those who don't believe. But there is deliverance for those who do believe. And one quick note on those who perished. Matthew Henry once again says this. He says, no one is ruined by the justice of God, but those who hate to be reformed by the grace of God. Let me say that again. No one, or none, none are ruined by the justice of God, but those who hate to be reformed by the grace of God god also we can learn through this rescues us from trials and god punishes the wicked we've already seen that piece but let's look at second peter verse chapter 2 verses 5 and 9 if he meaning god did not spare the ancient world but preserved noah a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly then the lord knows how to rescue the ungodly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. God rescues you from trials. God rescues you for eternity, but not just for eternity. God rescues you right now. Again, this is found throughout Scripture. Let's just look at three quick verses. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Psalm 27, five, For he will hide me in a shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent and he will lift me high upon a rock. 2 Corinthians 10, uh, 1 verse 10 This is Paul talking. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You see three times in one sentence Paul says he delivers us. He delivers us. He delivers us. He, delivers us. he had delivered deliver us. He will deliver us. My hope is on the fact that He will deliver, deliver us. The band can come up just as we close. When you look at yourself and your sins, because Scripture tells us that no one is righteous, not one. So in many ways, we're like those people outside the ship. So when we look at ourselves and our sins, does it grieve you? like it God? When you look at yourself and your sins, do you hate sin like God hates sin? When you look at yourselves and your sins, do you repent and ask for forgiveness like God wants? Or do you harden your heart? If you say that you have no sin, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. But if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In the words of Andrew Knowles, the story of Noah conveys the seriousness of sin, the reality of God's judgment, and the certainty of his power to save. Let's pray.